0: Welcome to Tech Chairs, a new podcast all about sport and technology.
1: Because technology is the single biggest force shaping modern sport. But how did we get to this point?
0: So in this first series, we'll try to answer that with the help of innovators and experts from all over the sports that we love
1: so much. So whether you're a fan, work in the industry or are simply tech curious, this is the series for you. Hello from me, Rebecca Hopkins. And me, John Inverdale. And welcome to Shares. Remember, coming up in May, we have our last episode where we'll run down the top 20 greatest technology moments in sport. Have you told us your thoughts yet?
0: And if not, why not? If you think Hawkeye has been the most transformational invention in sport, or video replays generally, or some tiny piece of engineering that hardly any of us have ever heard of, get your vote in and tell us about it.
1: Now, I have a bike.
0: And I have a bike too. Mine is a hybrid. And mine is blue. Although emblazoned across its central bar, I have to say, is the word Boardman. Because from being an Olympic champion 30 years ago, to being part of the revolution that swept through British cycling, to now being a fierce campaigner for cycling and cyclists generally, Chris Boardman is a name that is just synonymous with the sport.
1: And welcome, Chris. Hello. How are you doing?
2: I'm glad you've got a bike with my name on that. Paid for my breakfast. Thank you. (laughs)
1: Chris you must have grown up with bikes and yours was probably back in the day a far cry from what kids have now talk us through the development of of the cycles over the years
2: well I mean yeah I did grow up with bikes and most kids did certainly of my age because it's um it's such a wonderful tool isn't it that is your it's your first rite of passage as a kid. It's your how you extend territory. It's transport freedom. And then for me, and people like me, it became, um, it became my sport and my passion and then my job. And then on the other side of the fence, I started to get into the technical aspects of just what makes them go faster. And then it got really interesting. And then... Th- 40 odd years uh, further on, I'm now dealing with with trying to get a nation to use them more to get around. So it's an incredible machine, but specifically in the sporting aspect, the technology after 2000, really about 2000 onwards uh, leapt forward, but it wasn't just about the bike. It was the package of the bike and the rider. That's when it really started to get interesting in terms of changing performance. So in really simple
0: terms, if you put the recreational bike that you grew up with, you know, when you were 10, alongside a recreational bike now, what would be the things that would immediately strike you as being different?
2: Well, I think fundamentally, not a lot. And that's amazing. I mean, this, this, the modern safety bicycle has been around uh, well over 100 years. And it works. And it stood the test of time. You know, there's a chain. There's pneumatic tires. The wheels are roughly the same size. It all works. I think there's some subtleties that have changed. Bikes have got lighter. We have disc brakes. So we've got much better stopping power and it's more consistent in wet conditions. But fundamentally, the bicycle hasn't changed. At the performance end, it's changed profoundly. So give us an indication of when you were competing to somebody who's
0: competing now, what are the advantages that they have that you didn't have when you started?
2: The bikes are about 30% lighter now. Things like this are so very small aspects like how many gears you have available to you. have gone from, well, during my career, I've gone from 14 all the way through to 22 and more. So you have a lot more options to take with you at all the time. The, the bikes are hugely lighter. Carbon fiber really came in in the late 90s. And that took some time for culture to change to adapt to this new material because first thing we did with it is we rolled it into tubes because that's what we've always worked with with metal and then a few innovative people like mike burrows who designed the lotus machine um said actually well why are we rolling this into tubes it's much better and we can make any shape we want with it if we use it as a sheet and The creativity then came onto the scene and people started to realise that this new material gave them lots of new options.
1: So with anything that's mechanical or where man meets machine, you always invite the debate, well... Is it the apparatus or is it the athlete? With cycling, and, and I, I have to admit, yeah, I, I follow the tool, but not with any great level of connoisseurship. How much is the bike? How much is the athlete?
2: Just to be slightly pedantic, I'd, I'd probably alter your question and say, how much is technology and how much is the athlete? The difference between a really good athlete and one that's almost there is, is just a matter of a few watts it's a tiny percentage even fractions of a percent so technology in the sport of cycling has influenced the results massively over the last few years i know since i've been involved with the, on the r&d side back in 2004 to 2008 i ran the research and development part of british cycling um, that we were seeing an average of six percent improvement in performances which was taking people from fourths to firsts so the technology side of it and the knowledge side of it, understanding things like your own position and how changing your position a small amount makes a massive difference. That was a real revolution, actually, is not, uh, not too strong a way to put it.
0: In a previous edition, we were talking to Paul Hawkins, who came up with Hawkeye, which obviously has transformed so many sports, and saying, you know, what did he have a, a moment where... He suddenly thought, this is what I need to do. This is what sport needs. And actually he just he he went at it as a fan almost, saying, I was frustrated that LBW decisions were being made and that they were clearly wrong. We had to find a way of getting it right. So if you go back to the streamlined, the super streamlined helmets, that when they came in first of all, people were saying, What on earth are these? What was the gestation of that how did they suddenly how did a cycling helmet go from what we kind of remember it being to being this this space age bit of technology
2: the, the genesis really and uh, was the introduction of wind tunnels so they were used on you know by a handful of people uh, on occasion back to the 80s a little bit by myself in the 90s but properly Uh, in 2004 that was the first time we went into a wind tunnel and the wind tunnel at last you have a tool that says this is better this is worse and you have a way to understand now the frustrating thing about this tool is it doesn't tell you why it just says better worse but it allowed an athlete to go to a place where they could test their own assumptions and they could see in real time the impact on their performance of changing a position or changing a piece of equipment or whether I use that helmet that looks a bit stupid or don't use it. And that was the game changer. It changed a culture. Uh, It changed a way of thinking. And then suddenly we were limited more by imagination than we were actually the technology. And it allowed us to utilise that technology because we had a way to see what the impact of every decision was. And I think the most fascinating bit for me was we assumed we were going to get answers and we got a couple of answers, but what we really got from using this facility was more questions. So we had unexpected results and then we scratched our head and tried to work out, well, why did that happen? And then we had to come back with another experiment to find out. And that um, is a process we involved the athletes in and they, the, the information belonged to them. So I would say it was as much a cultural experience as it was a scientific one to, to change the way we do things. I know this is always the, the 60, it's not $64,000,
0: it's probably 64 billion pounds. Where can cycling go next in terms of embracing the, the Formula 1 technology that is obviously prevalent across most sports now?
2: Well, I used to buy some engineering time from McLaren one of their engineers, so I spent a little bit of time there, and there was a chief engineer called Paddy Lowe. and I remember being uh, down at the McLaren factory. I don't know if you've ever been; it's very space age, and uh, you know the wind tunnels cooled by the lake, and it's all you know incredibly futuristic. We were looking at the the range of Formula One cars that have been produced over the years because they kept all the different models, and I pointed at one, or rather, he pointed at one and said, "See that one? That was a four percent improvement." And I thought, "Wow, that's it." we've got no more and I said and that one was the next year and we got two percent and then after that actually we managed to find another way to do things and we got three percent and I realized that if you keep looking you'll find stuff it will just happen you need to have faith and I think that's why if you look at Formula One using that as the obvious analogy they're still testing absolutely to the maximum of what they're allowed now And they're still finding ways to go faster. And that's the key, really. You you keep looking and finding new things. So in the world of cycling, it was actually the rider's position that was a game changer. And then it was the clothing that they wore. And the bike is about 20% of the air resistance of a cyclist. So the bike was actually the smallest part. But then they started to look at the bike and think, how can we change the airflow as opposed to minimize the drag how do we use it to manipulate airflow and then it opens up a whole other way of thinking so i think we've um, we've probably only just started
1: and with sports such as cycling formula 1 increasingly sailing there's almost that technology running through the dna have you ever experienced any resistance to tech in the sport in your time there? Because it it almost seems an anathema to think that that would be the case. But when we talk to people, it's like, oh, yeah, getting the first idea over the line was a challenge.
2: I think that's a really, really important point. And I mentioned culture change earlier. And it's exactly what I run in, ran into when I first started to run the research and development program for British Cycling was we found when as soon as we started using wind tunnels, suddenly we had this information that was incredibly valuable, this insight. And it was hard won. And so I wanted to keep it in a really tight team. And my cunning plan was to, we, we will have a really tight team. We'll get this information. Then I'll take it to the athletes, give it to them, and they'll go faster. And that's what I tried to do. And I remember one World Cup qualifying event for the Olympics will have been 2007. So the athletes haven't even qualified for the Olympics yet. And I went to a World Cup and gave them some equipment and some helmets and clothing and said, use this. Here's the data. You'll go faster. And then went and sat in the the stands to watch. And in my arrogance and ignorance, I'd completely missed the fact that these people had fought blood, sweat and tears. They'd given their lives to to doing this. And then some kid had come along the last minute and said, don't do it that way, do it this way. And I watched in the stands as 80% of the athletes carried on doing exactly what they'd been doing before. And I couldn't believe it. I'd given them this recipe for success So 20% of the athletes had taken everything that we'd given to them, and they were the ones who'd helped with the experiments. And then suddenly the penny finally drops. So we raced back to Southampton where the tunnel was. We cut a hole in the ceiling. We put an overhead projector there. So we had data live on the floor uh, in front of anybody who went in the wind tunnel. And we got every one of the Olympic team down put them in the wind tunnel and just let them play. Just let them play and experiment and see what it did to the numbers. And then they asked questions and the experts were there. And then they made suggestions and passed them a helmet, passed them a piece of clothing. And by the end of the sessions, all of the athletes had adapted pretty much everything that we wanted them to do. But now it wasn't our idea. This now belonged to them and it was their choice. So, that's why I mentioned earlier that a wind tunnel was as much a psychological tool as it was a scientific one. And that culture change is hard to get. One of the things that we did is bring in people who knew nothing about our sport but had expertise in their area. So I had a conversation with one aerodynamicist who had started to work with us who knew nothing about cycling. And he looked at the bike and, and a rider ride on it and said, are well, your handlebars 42 centimetres wide. And we realized that we didn't actually know. It's just because that's the way it was. We were constrained unknowingly by history and tradition. So we said, oh, well, that's uh, that's the width of your shoulders. And he went, right, okay. Well, would you use 38-centimeter handlebars? Ooh, uh, well, I guess so. Would you use 22-centimeter handlebars? No, no, we couldn't do that. Why not? Well, uh, uh, and we were scrabbling around to find reasons to justify beliefs that have been there for all of our life because we were constrained by what we believe cycling is and isn't and had never questioned it. So bringing in ignorance, mixing ignorance with expertise, was the real game changer for us. We had somebody who worked in the underwear industry that came in and had knowledge of fabrics but didn't know anything about cycling. And when we pulled things Taught to get real, all the creases out of clothing, and we thought, well, that will make it smoother. But she pointed out that, well, actually, you've just made at a, at a micro level, you've just made the material rougher because you've pulled all the fibers apart. So we mixed in wholly new knowledge from people who knew nothing about what we did, and without fail, they were the catalysts for the game changing ideas. It's the perennial, Chris, one last question, barroom debate. And
0: um, we did it with our motor racing episode a couple of, a couple of times ago. If Onkatiel or Merckx or whoever had had all the technology that the last generation or so have had at their disposal, would they have been greater cyclists or were they just different cyclists?
2: I don't think the human being has fundamentally changed for the last few thousand years. What has changed is knowledge and what we can do with that knowledge. I think Merckx and Ankertiel would undoubtedly have gone faster, and so would everybody around them, and they'd have probably still been in the lead. So the human passion and ability to deal with suffering uh, and make tactical decisions, that is the same now as it was 100 years ago, and I think that's as it should be. Technology doesn't rule. It supplements people who were going to be the best in the first place. Chris,
0: just have to say thank you for making us all feel part of and explaining the cycling revolution and also bringing the curtain down on the first nine episodes of Tech Chairs, where we started with people rubbing olive oil on their bodies and we finish with people discussing how far apart cycle handlebars should be, which doesn't sound like technology, but as we have learned, it most definitely is.
1: And this is your last chance to tell us what you think is the greatest moment in sports technology before we run down our top 20 in the next episode. And that's happening at the Sports Technology Awards in New York. So one
0: final reminder of how to contact us, techchairs at sportstechgroup.org or tweet us at sportstechgroup using the hashtag sportstechgoat.
1: And thanks for listening. Until next time in the Big Apple. Thanks so
0: much for tuning in to today's episode of Tech Chairs. We hope you found it informative, thought-provoking,
1: entertaining. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to stay up to date with all things sport tech, be sure to subscribe. You can follow us on Apple, Spotify and all good podcast channels.
0: And if you have any feedback, suggestions or just want to say hello, contact us on Twitter at Sport tech Group, LinkedIn, the STA Group or by email techchairs at sportstechgroup.org.
1: Don't forget, if you're posting on social, our hashtags are techchairs and sportstechgoat.